SCP-7243, Existential Abatement, Part 1. When most people think of an SCP, they think of the SCP itself, like the statue, or the hard-to-destroy reptile, or other such monsters and anomalies. While those are concerns to the Foundation and need to be contained, there are also plenty of anomalies that produce their own waste as a byproduct of their existence. And while usually this waste isn't too harmful, it does need to be taken care of. That process is where the Acroamatic Abatement Department comes in, an entire division of the Foundation devoted to handling anomalous waste as these substances can't simply be flushed down a toilet or burned away without potential ramifications down the line, especially if multiple types of waste intermingle. It's certainly a big problem, and as the Foundation grows and more and more SCPs fall under their purview, the amount of anomalous waste they have to deal with similarly grows, and it all has to be processed. The Admonition series of SCP articles deals with the Foundation trying out various miraculous ways to deal with some of their big problems, but discovering that there are really are no shortcuts. Let's take a look at how they might handle their waste problem, and what the ramifications of their shortcuts are. We're first given a notice from the Oracle Collective informing us that an iteration of Central Normalcy Authority titled our Foundation has been formally audited regarding compliance with organization objectives outlined in the 1981 Multi-Foundation Coalition Agreement. Advance notice regarding this was not established, as this iteration's oracle position has been vacant for several decades, with no suitable replacement representative made known to the Collective. The following report then consists of recovered files regarding the iteration in question, and the audit was manually conducted under direct supervision of Oracle Prime. What that all boils down to then is that we're looking at some version of the Foundation that's under investigation for their compliance with the objectives of the Multiversal Foundation organization. The first item under investigation are post-mortem files regarding prior timeline iteration, with the assessment being that it was a misuse of authority resources which precipitated an enhanced ascension of a Tier 4 cosmological anomaly. What they're referring to is SCP-6820, the first in the Admonition series in which a Foundation tried to permanently kill SCP-682, but failed. This timeline was reconstituted by Gold Baker and Associates, an anomalous insurance company, at significant expense. The second item is a hazardous document regarding local patosphere instability, which also involved a misuse of authority resources, precipitating the enhanced ascension of a Tier 4 cosmological anomaly. This refers to SCP-6747 in which a Foundation tried to use pataphysics to resurrect a deceased individual, but failed. The third item is an imperceptible document regarding local noosphere instability, in which again misuse of authority resources precipitated the enhanced ascension of a Tier 4 cosmological anomaly. This refers to SCP-6659, in which a Foundation tried to create a device that could kill gods, but failed. 
Item 4 are system files regarding the destruction of a local cybersphere, in which misuse of authority resources precipitated the enhanced ascension of a Tier 4 cosmological anomaly and the ejection of an additional rogue element. This refers to SCP-6488, in which a Foundation created an AI to contain any deviant AIs, but failed. It seems, then, that all of the admonition articles have been occurring in one version of the Foundation, with it being patched up from time to time. Finally, we have Item 5, Compiled Documents Regarding an Explicit Breach of Contract, which is what we're reading now. I wonder how this one will end up. We're provided a document from the desk of Dr. Dougal Deering, in which he discusses what waste is. It reads, What is waste? The dictionary defines, well, nothing, actually. We define. The dictionary only records our definitions. Even that term is misleading. The dictionary as though there were only one. Merriam-Webster probably says that waste, noun, is nothing but a useless byproduct of something better. Accurate so far as it goes, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. That's our fault. The worst kind of waste they're aware of is spent nuclear fuel, or carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Their definition was written without having borne witness to the irreducible Nasimbenium cores powering innumerable impossible mad science projects, or the infernal combustion engines punching holes in the Noazone layer with their demonosulfuric emissions. That's the kind of waste our dictionary takes into account. Metal that absorbs psychic signals and grows like cancer. Balls of backward-flowing time auricalcum, adamant, and ectoplasm, the colostomy from out of space, an endless catalog of anomalous fallout and excreta which only we can ameliorate, because only we can see it, because we set the world up that way. But we're getting tired of seeing it. After all this time, this endless uphill landfill slog, we need to see clear blue sky beyond our horizon of trash. If only putting the waste out of mind could also put it out of sight. One might be forgiven for wishing that the very concept could be erased from our manifest of magic, as the gutters overflow with anomalous ooze and the grey goo projections turn perilously proximal. One might be forgiven for wishing that the dictionary truly did define and that by changing the definition of waste, we could change the very thing itself. But forgiveness is never guaranteed. That's what gives it meaning. We're also given an undated photograph from Dr. Deering's files, showing a young man and woman side by side in black and white. Next, we're provided an incident report from September of 2028, from the Acromatic Abatement Facility AAF-D. The recording officer is Dr. Nyo, from Psychology and Parapsychology at Site-43, and she's interviewing Dr. Deering. His hands are bandaged, and he is sitting very still, as if recovering from heavy sedation. 
She begins by asking him what he was doing in AAF-D when the incident occurred, to which he says that he was supervising a flush. She asks what that entails, and he explains flatly that AAF-D is the powerhouse of Site-43's abatement plant, the single largest anomalous waste facility ever constructed. Since the effluence crisis escalated globally, it's been doing non-stop quadruple duty, so every few years they have to shut it down, for no longer than an hour. Any longer than that and the whole system backs up irrecoverably, but they have to pump the overflow into the anachronic sump below the site, because their output is severely lagging behind their input. They're overwhelmed and operating on triage principles. Any substance requiring too much time or too heavy a resource commitment to abate has to be set aside, because certain other abatements are too time sensitive to delay. Some of the anomalous effects of the waste can worsen the longer they're kept in the pipeline, without even getting into what they can do to the pipes themselves. When they do the flush, they're often already white hot, or ice cold, or humming obscenities in Latin. It's always a close call, because they can't afford to do it any more often than every few years, without the whole system failing. All this really does though is just buy them a little more time, and the sump under the facility is getting full as well. The man in charge of the flush this year was Deputy Chief of Janitorial and Maintenance, Philip Deering, his brother. Dr. Nyo asks if he was supervising him then, but Deering just says that he was visiting him, as they never speak to each other despite working in the same facility for decades. They talked about a toy that Deering found in the basement at their parents' house, which consists of a single sliding compartment. He explains that it makes things disappear, and Dr. Nyo places her Site-43 badge pin in the compartment and closes it, at which point it vanishes. She asks him how it works, to which he says that it's magic, as he's an occultist. He didn't end up giving it to him though, and says that he's not as familiar with the abatement facility as he used to be, and they've had to make a lot of changes to keep up with the pressure. Apparently there were two pipes, side by side, each containing very different types of anomalous waste, with a junction connecting them that allowed for combining their contents under specific emergency circumstances. This is normally done via remote control, but there is a valve there to allow manual access during accidents, and it apparently moved when Deering bumped into it. Possibly this was due to metal fatigue, but he thinks more likely that they were already in the early stages of a total collapse, and this was just the first sign. Those pipes were full to bursting with material, when they should have been almost empty. He doesn't think that they hadn't been flushed properly, but the people working there are under a lot of pressure, and the materials are unpredictable. Either way, there was a lot more waste in the system than expected, and it might have come blasting out even if he hadn't bumped the valve. The materials then mixed inappropriately, and the waste in one pipe, the Orphic outflow, instantly became every version of itself it had ever been simultaneously, before, during, and after abatement. 
He says that it looked like an army of technicolor ghosts all melted together, bursting out of the pipes like steam. His brother headed for the nearest suction pump controls, which are located in every room and corridor, and which would cause all of the waste to get sucked into the sinkhole without further incident. He was met halfway there by something which manifested behind him, something writhing and ethereal. It sucked up most of the airborne effluence, and then crunched itself audibly down to his size. Deering begins shouting that it moved right through his brother, overlaid itself on him, coiled around him, and started to shrink. His brother's eyes rolled back, his skin shriveled in against his bones and split where his organs were, and they burst out of him. He melted into a pile all over the floor, and then it was gone. Deering heaves and begins hyperventilating for a few seconds before recovering, remarking that he doesn't think his brother felt it. Dr. Nyo says that he then turned the handle himself for the suction pump, but Deering replies that he doesn't remember. They have it on camera, however, which is how Deering's hands got injured, as the controls were compromised from the ghosts being out too long. Deering asks why they've dragged him through all this again if they have it on camera, to which she says that she just needed to hear his version for the report, which is standard procedure. She then asks how she gets her pin back, and he tells her to just shake the toy to the left, hard. He says that it was never gone, as it's just a slide to the right and a little mirror to hide the evidence. No magic at all, just a trick. We're given a note telling us that this interview confirmed Deering's initial testimony immediately after the event, in which he reported the presence of a rogue entity that killed his brother. No personnel reviewing the security camera footage of the incident, however, are able to perceive any entity, even under nestic treatment. On the recommendation of Dr. Nyo and the Chief of Janitorial and Maintenance, Deering has been prescribed one year's mandatory mental health leave. With that, we're finally given the file for SCP-7243 itself, which, like nearly all the admonition anomalies so far, has been given the containment class of Thaumiel, meaning that the Foundation uses it in some way to assist in containing other SCPs. We're not given the anomaly's description yet, but its assigned departments are the Parachronology Department, meaning that it deals with time in some way, the PM Center, the Logistics Branch, the Acroamatic Abatement Department, and Applied Occultism. Placeholder McDoctorate is the project lead, with 058 as an advisor, and Deering and Director Ilsa Reinders are the research heads. The containment procedures tell us that 7243 must only abate acroamatic waste materials which do not exist, and cannot under any circumstances be used to neutralize anything measurably extant. This is why it has the Absentia Secondary Containment Class, which are anomalies used by the Foundation to ensure the absence of non-existent phenomena. What this means then is that it's a bit of a tricky one to wrap your head around, as it's a device that handles things that don't exist, 
and the logistics branch maintains a global network of consolidation and supply lines for transport of non-existent material. These transports are empty, the network handles nothing, and the empty containers are voided into SCP-7243. We're given another note, presumably from Deering, in which he states that Waste is when a thing full of life and promise, a thing of beauty, is obliterated before its full potential is realized. Waste is snuffing out a light in our darkest hour. Waste is death, and he is going to kill it. We're then given a few dark, unclear photographs showing what appears to be the interior of a complex facility. This is followed by an addendum consisting of an excerpt from a research paper written by Director Reinders, titled Acroamatic Abatement and You, In Case of Emergency, Do Not Break Glass. The abstract of the paper reads, In principle, the Foundation only considers neutralization of anomalous phenomena where containment is infeasible and uncontainment is undesirable. Generally, if one anomaly produces another, that new phenomenon should also be contained and studied. When these byproducts are generated continuously, however, their containment will eventually become infeasible, and so the criteria is met for their disposal. Mass containment facilities, particularly those specializing in biological containment, are already equipped with immense infrastructures for disposing of conventional waste. Unfortunately, these systems cannot contend with unconventional waste, the esoteric properties of which may eventuate any number of unforeseen issues. Each year, innumerable breaches are caused by the reaction of multiple anomalous substances in spaces they should never have occupied in the first instance garbage dumpsters, sewage tanks, ventilation systems, and the like. This leaves our most crucial sites with the issue of storing, transporting, and neutralizing large concentrations of volatile, esoteric effluents on a case-by-case -case basis for an arbitrary number of anomalies with arbitrary properties ad infinitum. This is the ever-progressing front on which acroamatic abatement does battle. It attempts to generalize the problems of safe storage, transport, and amelioration for arbitrary acroamatic waste. These are extremely messy problems to solve, and not just in the practical sense. Theoretically, acroamatic abatement deals in the development of containment and neutralization techniques for all possible anomalous effects, and accounting for their potential interactions with all other anomalous effects. At time of writing, no singular inciting element has been identified as the cause to which the entire known range of anomalous phenomena can be attributed. In the opinion of this acroamaticist, no such element exists. Definitionally, anomalies subvert generally accepted models of how reality works, and so their classification is determined by whether they are congruent with our limited human understanding. There is no swan boson or similar phenomenon that grants a substance the quality of defined expectation. 
It is therefore impossible to develop a comprehensive technique which can strip any arbitrary substance of its anomalous properties with certainty, short of developing rigorous scientific explanations for those properties and conveying them pedagogically to the human populace entire. As such, the primary approach of acroamatic abatement has been to group esoteric substances into broad classes based on their properties, developing containment and treatment strategies for each class and subclass therein. This classification system is necessarily non-rigorous, and cannot comprehensively describe all acroamatic material, for reasons aforementioned, but a more effective model has yet to be developed. Next we have some correspondence between Deering and the chief of janitorial and maintenance, who is also his brother's wife. She accuses him of killing her husband, to which he replies that if he had had even one second to react, he would have tried to save him, but he's sorry the system let him and her down. He's sorry they let it decline so far and so fast and at this point they can't even begin to predict how these increasingly volatile materials will interact with each other and their obsolete equipment. The entity which killed his brother could have resulted from any number of things, and all they can do is rededicate themselves to the cause he gave his life for. She only responds however that he killed her husband, only him. He says that nobody on earth understands what she lost the way he does and he understands if she needs someone to blame, as he's the head of acroamatic abatement. They can't lose sight of the fact that what killed him was an extreme statistical outlier under nobody's control, and after all of their efforts, things like that still exist and are even multiplying. If they dwell on their mistakes, they'll overtake them, so they can't give up on their quest to figure out where all of this is coming from and how to send it back there. She replies that he can't even call Philip his brother, not even in a letter, and tells him to take responsibility for once in his life. There never was an entity, as he's the only one who claims to have seen it, and whatever he might believe, he's not that important. When she asked Philip if Deering was coming to his deputy chief promotion, he said probably not, as he'd be too ashamed. He'd internalized that for so long that he didn't even think to be sad about it. That's when she realized that she was going to have to hate him, well before he finally did something to really earn it. She says that he's incapable of facing up to anything he thinks reflects poorly on himself, so he makes excuses for why he shouldn't have to. He can't attend the ceremony because of a scheduling conflict, not because he can't stand admitting that he shares DNA with a glorified janitor. He can't come to the wedding because it's even worse seeing more janitor blood seeping into the family. He can't take a break from dissolving parathylene like an industrious little worm to allow even a single genuine moment of base human connection. He can't admit he bumped into a piece of sensitive equipment because he was too preoccupied with the cleverness of his weak, self-centered peace offering and killed the only person on the planet who ever had even the tiniest scrap of respect for him. She ends by saying that Philip never reflected poorly on him, but he reflects poorly on Philip, and to his infinite credit, that never crossed his mind. 
While some might be hesitant to respond to such a scathing message, Deering replies asking what he can do to make this right. He tells her that she's the best sanitation engineer in a facility full of certified geniuses, and he wants her to give him a selfless goal that Philip would have been proud to see achieved, so that he can show her that he's never been more determined in his life. She replies with a short, but incredibly daunting task. No more waste. He says, okay, and later, through a series of messages, that he's working on it, and that he can see it on the horizon, but he's going to need her help to see it through. While these exchanges were going on, Deering was also in contact with placeholder McDoctorate, telling him that he knows he's dividing his attention between a great many projects right now, but he'll want to be involved in this. He says that placeholder's time is short, and they can't ignore the acroamatic abatement problem anymore, or else it's going to be their species' meteor strike. Deering is the only one with the drive to deflect this thing hanging over their heads, and while Placeholder is trying to save the world for the third, fourth, or fifth time, he asks if he's content with it being his last. Placeholder then replies, saying that they should talk. Thus, we get the description for SCP-7243, the Deering Placeholder Latent Existential Abatement Engine, an advanced industrial eigenmachine designed for comprehensive mass disposal of generalized esoteric waste. It's housed within Acroamatic Abatement Facility Exactus, the bottommost structure of Site-43, and it's the largest waste processing facility on Earth responsible for a 95% decrease in global acroamatic waste production. From the baseline perspective, the engine processes no waste, as rather than actively detoxifying esoteric effluents like most abatement, it instead performs a novel procedure which ensures the non-existence of any effluents which it would be used to abate. Were any substance to be deposited into the engine, the substance would be instantly annihilated, retro-causally, from all of space-time. This means, then, that the substance would never have existed at all, and thus could not have been deposited into the engine in the first place. This paradoxical scenario would normally generate a buildup of retro-causal quanta, which would induce a ZK-class temporal paradox. 7234, however, absorbs the imminent paradox and redirects the quanta into the immediate past, colliding with the paradoxical substance, causing its annihilation. This forms a stable time loop, wherein the substance's non-existence is self-justifying. To an observer, then, 7243 prevents the creation of any waste which it would be used to neutralize, because it essentially erases it before it even exists. This means that as long as all the necessary infrastructure remains in place and functional to deliver any waste to the engine, no waste will ever manifest at all. In other words, they have to keep dumping empty barrels into the engine so that nothing ever appears in those barrels. To date, 97% of all anomalies that would normally generate waste 
no longer do so thanks to the existence of 7243. We're then provided an audio transcript taken from the Site-43 Acromatic Abatement section, shortly after the initial approval of 7243. Deering's sister-in-law, Amelia, is paging through the schematics and calls him insane, as this will never work, and in the best-case scenario, the Temporal Anomalies Department has to assassinate him last week. He replies that it's just math with 1 minus 1 equaling 0, but she says it's more like 1 plus minus 1 equals minus 1 plus 1. She asks how he can even build something capable of this, which he says is why he brought Placeholder on board, who's certain that they can do this as written, and they've consulted with Reinders, so the failsafes are foolproof. Amelia is not convinced, however, and tells him that this is a mistake that will all come crashing down. Deering says it won't if it's built properly, with redundancies and the best engineering they have available. This is how they kill waste, or maybe it will kill all of them, because she was too busy being angry at one man to put in the work of protecting the entire human race. She can squander her talents building cisterns and pipelines for acres of gunk they'll never be able to wade through if that's what she thinks is best. In the end, Amelia gets on board, and 7243 is built as planned. The document continues with the operational mechanics for the engine, stating that it only abates materials which do not exist and actually cannot process anything which does measurably exist. Essentially, the fact that a waste material exists at all means that it will never be processed by the engine, and must be abated by conventional means. Attempts to deposit any existing materials into the engine are invariably futile, as some sequence of events will occur that make it so that the materials never arrive at the engine. Typically, these are logistical failures, such as crates falling off a cargo ship, or the ship itself sinking, or any number of other chaotic and disastrous events that prevent the material from reaching the engine. Fortunately, this means that if a waste material does come into existence now, the Foundation knows that it will never reach the engine, so they don't have to make any disastrous attempts to send it that way. As mentioned, the logistical networks for everything still have to be in place for all waste material, existent or not, but if a material does exist, the Foundation can reroute the waste to backup facilities. It's noted also that the engine is highly sensitive to local chronological shift, and if a shift occurs, it is configured to reference the causal dependencies of its surroundings to reinforce its own chronology. There are seven identified personnel, including Deering, Deering's brother, Amelia, and Placeholder, on whose actions the engine is causally dependent, so in case of an impending XK-class event, it's crucial that these individuals or their remains remain nearby. We're also told the origin of the engine, with Deering returning from an extended leave of absence in 2029 with newfound interest in novel acroamatic abatement techniques. He submitted several project proposals advocating for the creation of experimental abatement mechanisms based upon various parascientific theories, 
but all were denied based on excessive cost and or lack of methodological confidence. A year and a half later, one of these proposals was reconsidered by Placeholder McDoctorate, who noted that the Pilkrow-Minkowski Center for Multidisciplinary Studies had verified Deering's relevant findings at scale. With backing by the PM Center and the Parachronology Division, the project was approved, and was completed partway through 2032. In another undated note from Deering, he writes that, Sometimes waste is a good thing, like heat shedding. We work off our excess physical energy into sweat, radiating the remainder over time, or convect it into the winds of change, or conducting it into the cold spaces between warm bodies. This stabilizes the interval, preventing burnout. Waste can be transformative. For the following section of the document, we're given another notice from the Oracle Collective, alerting us that these documents exhibited temporary alteration from the perspective of our timeline, during and as a direct result of a local perceptual shift, so they're presented as they appeared during the time frame they describe. Basically that means that the timestamps for the following instant log are obfuscated, and some parts of the document have been corrupted. It begins with a research site in Japan, reporting the production of existing waste from several instances, with logistics being notified to reroute the waste to various fallback sites. It then reports full production of waste by all of the respective instances, indicating a comprehensive failure of its dedicated supply line within 80 hours. Logistics halts the relevant operations for immediate inspection. A containment site in Japan also reports full production of waste by all of their respective instances, indicating a collective failure of Japan's dedicated supply lines, so additional logistics personnel are deployed for inspection. They're unable to discern the cause of this eventual supply failure, and local fallback facilities have exceeded their capacity, so the excess is redirected to Australian fallback sites. Within the next eight hours, three more containment sites also report full production of waste, indicating a complete failure of all dedicated supply lines across Asia, Australia, and Eastern Europe. Logistics can't deploy sufficient personnel to every site. Acromatic abatement personnel are notified of an impending event of unclear nature, and a rigorous inspection begins of the engine and the relevant delivery systems. Facilities across Western Europe report similar failures of waste, and abatement personnel discover that these failures have been occurring at a roughly consistent rate spreading outward from the site in Japan. Soon there is a total existential abatement failure across all sites outside of North America, as emergency transport contingencies are immediately activated worldwide to alleviate near-critical buildups of extant waste. The parachronology department begins a lateral chronological analysis protocol to determine the likelihood of chronological or other reality shifts, and the key personnel for the engine are immediately called to their posts. Due to the loss of AI-powered communication encryption services, because of the Lotus AI containing all deviant AI, 
Chinese militia groups intercept the logistics department's communications regarding the ongoing situation. Mainland China's government refuses entry to logistics transport vessels, citing a direct order of the GOC. Contingency systems are unable to account for the critical buildup of esoteric substances, resulting in a catastrophic hazardous materials breach and the loss of the two sites in Japan. Facilities across North America's western coast begin to experience existential abatement failure, and the Acromatic Abatement Department corrects their prior analysis, as the point of failure here is not the site in Japan, but rather it's Site 43, affecting the furthest away sites first. All of the key personnel except for Placeholder have gathered near the engine, and Reinders texts him repeatedly to get there. Placeholder eventually responds, asking when she needs him there, to which she says now. He replies that he's busy, and he has a time-traveling, universe-hopping teleportation machine, so he's sure he'll be where he needs to be, when he needs to be. She tells him under no circumstances will he fly into the eye of an esoteric hurricane with that thing, but he stops responding. The logistics branch is unable to discern a procedural cause of failure. The acromatic abatement section is unable to discern any fault with the engine. Parachronology is unable to detect any symptoms of imminent CK-class, ZK-class, or other XK-class events, and the Temporal Anomalies Department forecasts a 0% probability of any impending reality shift, chronological shift, temporal pivot, timeline branch, timeline merge, or other possible cause of the engine's failure. The temporality annex, however, is unresponsive. SCP-179, Saul Susser, the entity located near the sun that warns the foundation of extraterrestrial threats, is seen holding its head in its hands, apparently sobbing, although the meaning of this is unclear. Eventually, total existential abatement failure occurs across all relevant facilities, except those within 1,000 kilometers of Site-43. Several more fallback facilities fail, and contingency systems are beyond capacity. Reinders texts placeholder some more, although much of the text has been lost. She says that neither of them are stupid, and tells him something if they live to see tomorrow. The document simply notes that the implications of her texts are unclear. With no discernible indication of the impending event's nature, it's presumed that some oblique malfunction of the engine will be responsible, so Reinders proposes the deactivation of the engine immediately following the delivery of all remaining waste in absentia. The waste material that doesn't exist needs to be voided into the engine to prevent a ZK-class Temporal Paradox. The O5 Council reports that extra-universal parties and contingency groups are entirely unresponsive, with emergency protocol Veilbreak enacted. All available resources are redirected toward abatement, cleanup, and contingency efforts, with SCP-2000 activated in standby mode. Reinders convenes remotely with the O5 Council, and she is incidentally informed of Black Site Facility 6488, where the Lotus AI is housed, 
and is informed of the true nature of Lotus's origin and operation, as well as its imminent planned deactivation. Reinders attempts to warn the Council of the potential ramification of its deactivation, but the connection is abruptly terminated by unknown means. She proceeds to disassemble and jury-rig nearby terminal components into a makeshift broadcast system, and attempts to hail Facility 6488 and all nearby sites, calling for any available respondents. As the final waste cart approaches the engine, all remaining personnel prepare for the first ever complete deactivation of the engine. Around the same time, Lotus begins its deactivation sequence, causing an unprecedented release of highly deviant artificial intelligences into various digital systems, globally and beyond. The engine successfully commences shutdown, with no faults detected. Deering begins arguing with Reinders, maintaining the position that their deactivation of the engine is the very event which retroactively caused this whole situation. The Paradox Exodus engine is then co-opted by Rogue AI, causing it and Placeholder to demanifest from consensus reality. Deering is interrupted mid-conversation by the spontaneous reactivation of the engine, with all internal cores hyperactivating triggering chronological reinforcement contingency protocols. Reinders orders the immediate shutdown of the engine via analog manual override, but maintenance personnel report confusion as the facility's PA system broadcasts conflicting instructions in a near-perfect imitation of Reinders' voice. Deering approaches Amelia, procures a heavily modified Temporal Anomalies Department jump watch from his pocket and begins tapping it in frantic rhythm. Reinders exclaims and pulls Deering towards herself, attempting to stop him, but the device activates and both of them disappear. As the engine's latent stores of existing waste and paradoxically reinstated non-waste approach critical mass, an intense red hue begins to permeate the area. Multiple possible iterations of two of the Foundation Doctors begin to manifest and overlap, signaling an imminent Copenhagen decoherence event. Amelia vocalizes distress and quickly exits the facility. The local time, as measured by all electronic devices, cycles rapidly through the calendar year and the engine's scheduled automatic reference check triggers 122 times in quick succession. Apparitions of Deering attempt to override this every three seconds, but in his absence between attempts, the override is deemed inauthentic. The engine is unable to locate sufficient anchors for its definitive chronology, because most of the key personnel are absent so it's forced to utilize a probabilistic metric, with multiple attempted micro-adjustments overlapping in local space-time. A large film projector reel manifests within Dr. Neo's skull, killing her instantly, and iterations of another doctor draw concealed weapons, firing upon each other simultaneously. Maintenance personnel begin to sever their own fingers, and uncontrollably consume the lost blood. A fourth sublevel then manifests above the facility, containing something that is immediately aerosolized by ambient, 
Thomic blood and incorporated into a coruscating halo suffusing the bedrock. Acroamatic decontainment events increase in frequency and severity sevenfold, as Amelia sprints down a narrow hallway towards an emergency bunker, but she trips over her own corpse and is knocked unconscious by the fall. Here, the document really becomes sparse, with something both exploding and imploding, something stated to must not exist and something that must exist until the document states an error of a bad connection and ends. There's a lot to unpack there, but even more that's left as a temporary mystery of what exactly occurred in both the abatement facility and with the engine. It's clear that the big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff has been messed with to an unfortunate degree, and perhaps Deering was right in that they themselves set about this situation by eventually shutting down the engine to try and fix the situation that shutting down the engine retroactively caused. It's a lot to wrap your head around, and it's also unclear what Lotus has to do with it, as the engine doesn't involve an AI, and what exactly Placeholder is up to. We'll find out more in part two, but Obviously, things never go too well when someone at the Foundation tries to find a miraculous solution to a big problem.